Psalm 6. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to hear from you this morning through your word. We pray that you would remove any and all distractions. Lord, we are thankful for psalms like this one, where the psalmist is honest and transparent about his afflictions. Help us to apply this psalm to our lives. Help us to see Jesus and to trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt so afflicted that your bones ached? Have you ever cried so much that you felt like you were going to drown in your own tears? This is the situation of David in this psalm. The psalm has a, a somber feel to it. A dark cloud rests over it. David says that he is languishing, that he needs healing, that his body and his soul are troubled, and he's nonstop crying at night. I'm sure some of us here have been in that type of situation. Maybe some of us here are currently in a situation like this. We don't know the specific details on why David is feeling this way, and the title of the psalm doesn't really help us know what's going on in David's life. Many scholars believe that David is experiencing an affliction due to unrepented sin. And that's very possible. But there is no explicit confession of sin in this psalm. There is no repentance in this psalm. But we do know that where there is pain and where there is suffering and where there is depression, sin is definitely involved. So is David in a situation because he had unrepented sin in his life? 
possibly? Was David afflicted because of his enemies? Well, that seems to be likely due to what we see in verses 7, 8, and 10. Or it could have been something else. We don't know. And it's good that we don't know. Because it's easier for us who are in many different types of afflictions and and difficult situations, it allows us to be able to enter into this psalm. To be able to pray it. To be able to sing it for ourselves. Psalm 6 is a psalm of lament. Psalms of lament are where the, the psalmist is in a difficult situation and he pours out his heart to the Lord and asks him to act. For those who are taking notes, I've divided this psalm into four sections using the divisions you see in the stanzas. And so we will see in verses 1 to 3, David's trouble. In verses 4 and 5, David's reasoning In verses 6 and 7, David's grief. And then lastly, in verses 8 to 10, David's confidence. So David's trouble, David's reasoning, David's grief, and David's confidence. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text, is this. Assurance and comfort in our afflictions comes from knowing that God hears our prayers. Assurance and comfort in our afflictions comes from knowing that God hears our prayers. Nothing is more assuring and comforting than knowing that the God who sends afflictions our way hears our cries, hears our prayers, knowing that he will deliver us and rescue us in his timing but we can still have assurance and comfort in the midst of our afflictions because we know that God hears us when we call out to him. Assurance and comfort in our afflictions comes from knowing that God hears our prayers. All right, so let's look at our first section, David's trouble. Look at verses 1 to 3. David is stressed beyond what he can bear. He is suffering from some intense, unspecified affliction. We're not sure if he's suffering from a physical injury or if the stress he is enduring is so great that it's causing him to have a negative effect on his body. And yet here, David understands that it is God who sent the affliction his way. Afflictions in our lives, whether they be illness or enemies or tragedy, ultimately they come from God. David knows this, and so he turns to the Lord and he cries to him for help. His afflictions felt so severe that he asked the Lord to lighten the discipline. Do you see that in verse 1? O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Notice David isn't telling God to withhold his rebuke or to withhold his discipline. He says, Lord, rebuke me, just not in your anger. 
Lord, discipline me, just not in your wrath. God's anger and wrath were for the wicked. What David is saying here is similar to what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 10, 24. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Correction and discipline is good. But we see here that Jeremiah and David asked the Lord to sweeten the blow. So Lord, instead of using the pressure hose, use the garden hose. David knows that he's not innocent in all of this. God is bringing about affliction to lovingly discipline him. And yet this affliction feels so severe that he feels like the Lord is angry with him. Have you ever felt like that? Do you feel like that right now? God may send afflictions your way because of sin in your life. We can't minimize that. In fact, John Calvin says that there are only a few people who actually suffer and then consider God and the problem of sin. God may send afflictions your way because of sin. But if you are a believer, God also disciplines us because he simply loves us and wants us to grow. Discipline is good. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we much not more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is good. We all need to be corrected. We all sin and fall short sometimes. And the Lord loves us so much that he lovingly corrects us through the afflictions that we face in order to help us see our sin, in order to help us see that we cannot live this life on our own, in order to help us see that we need him. And so through his discipline, we are drawn closer to him. And even though it's painful, like the writer of Hebrews says, it produces good fruit in our lives. So this morning, do you see God's hand 
and your afflictions. Do you see that he has a purpose for all that you're going through? A wise man or woman welcomes God's instruction. A fool refuses correction and discipline. David might have felt that disapproval of God. He probably felt that God had hidden his face from him. But God was still there. And he was still David's God no matter what. David doesn't turn away from God's discipline. He wants to learn the lessons that God has for him, but he asks the Lord to not treat him like the wicked, not in his anger. And then he continues in verse 2 by appealing to the grace of God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? He asked the Lord to be merciful, to be gracious to him. And David admits that he is weak. That word languishing gives us the picture of a plant that hasn't been watered for a while and the sun is beating down on it and it's wilting. David asked the Lord to heal him. He's too weak to handle things on his own. He can't make it through on his own strength. He acknowledges that his circumstances are beyond his ability. Afflictions in our lives are a means that God uses to empty us of ourselves and to demonstrate our utter reliance on God. We all need to come to terms with our own inadequacy and God's sufficiency. And so this morning, maybe you need to acknowledge that your, your finances, your marriage, your children, that illness that you're facing, or whatever it is, is beyond what you can control and beyond what you can handle. Acknowledge that you have a God who is ready to help if you turn to him. And acknowledge that you don't need more strength to face it alone. You need more grace. David knows that the Lord is the only one who can help him. He says, oh Lord, five times in the span of four verses. He pleads to the Lord to show him grace. When he says that his bones are troubled, his suffering was so severe that his bones, his very frame, was trembling in agony. His soul was also greatly troubled. He was experiencing a form of depression. Some of the old Puritans call this the dark night of the soul. The situation was taking a toll on his body and his mental state. And then in verse 3, he asks, How long, O Lord? How long will this affliction be? How long will I go before you show mercy? When there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when prayer goes unanswered, all we can really say is, How long? 
O Lord. That's where David's at. This is David's trouble. And now we'll consider David's reasoning. David felt that God wasn't present. So in verse 4, he asked the Lord to turn towards him and deliver his life. And then he begins to reason with God. He says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Not for my sake, but for your sake, for your glory. Answer my prayer, Lord. Show yourself to be who you say you are. A God who is abundant in steadfast love towards your people. A God who is committed and loyal because of your great and deep love. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. If he is your God, you can count on him to be faithful to you. Even if your friends or your family leave you or betray you, your God will always be faithful because of his steadfast love. And so David uses this to reason with God. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. And then he continues his reasoning in verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? David says, turn and rescue me for the sake of your glory. If I die, then I won't be able to worship you. Lord, preserve my life. I want to serve you. I want to praise you. I want to worship you. He's saying, I want the pain to end. End the pain, Lord, but please save me so that others will see your steadfast love. So that I will be able to tell others about your glory and your power. Because if David is rescued and saved, God is the one who gets the glory. He reasons with God to answer his prayer. We see David's trouble, David's reasoning, and then in verses 6 and 7, we see David's grief. David goes into greater detail about what he's feeling. He's honest, and he's very transparent with the Lord in these verses. And then I hope that some of you here this morning are relieved in knowing that you can go to the Lord and share your grief with him. You could be open and honest and transparent with him. Those of us finding ourselves in this type of grief are in good company. David felt this way. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, had a lifelong battle with depression. Martin Luther, the great reformer, struggled with depression that was so intense that he at times doubted his own salvation and that other times doubted his value and in, in, in his part of the Reformation. Christians are not immune to this type of grief. David says in verse 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David was a mess. His affliction was so severe that he cried every night. He says, I am weary from groaning. I'm tired. I'm sure some of us can relate being too tired 
from the sleepless nights. Too tired to do the things that we need to get done because we're just exhausted from those restless nights. Too tired to get out of bed and get dressed. Too tired to get in the car and go to work. Too exhausted to get the kids ready to go to school. Too worn out to clean the house. Too depressed to go to church. Too burdened to read the Bible. Too sluggish to even pray. Maybe the only thing that you can utter to the Lord is what David says in verse 3. Oh, Lord, how long? Again, you're not alone. That was John Calvin's favorite prayer. Domine usque quo. Oh, Lord, how long? And then there's some of us who struggle with even being emotional at all. We can acknowledge God with our minds and distance ourselves from him with our emotions. We know that we need God's help, but we functionally live as though we can handle it on our own. Some of us try to bury that pain and working out more often, putting more hours in at the office. We binge watch TV shows. We eat more. We drink more. We do whatever we can do to get rid of the emotion. But dismissing our pain, the pain in our souls, will never lead to anywhere healthy. It's good and necessary to grieve. It's good and necessary to lament and to take our burdens to the Lord in prayer. David describes his grief by saying, Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. The literal translation here is that he is crying so much that his bed begins to swim. He's provided enough water for his bed to swim, and then eventually his bed dissolves because of his tears. David uses this type of communication to, to let the Lord know the depth of the emotions that he was dealing with. These verses teach us that true believers can go through deep heart-wrenching afflictions that come from God. The Bible doesn't teach that health and wealth prosperity gospel. Christians are not immune to suffering just because we're Christians. David doesn't hold anything back. He weeps in his bed. David cries so much that he describes it as his eyes wasting away. Have you ever cried so much that your eyes hurt the next day? That's what David's talking about. This section of David's prayer helps us see that we can be real with God. We can share our grief with him. We can lament to him. We can pray this prayer for ourselves and we can also pray this prayer for others in our lives who are going through serious afflictions. And there is something about grieving to the Lord that positions us in a way to receive his grace 
in which we cannot and will not when things are going well. But David doesn't leave us there. In verses 8 to 10, he talks about his confidence and his future deliverance. Look at verses 8 to 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be greatly, shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. These verses seem to come out of nowhere. It seems like there's a new person starting to talk in this psalm. David sounds like a different person. He had just talked about being a sobbing mess at night, wetting his bed with his tears because of all his foes. And now he's starting to address his enemies and tell them to depart. Where did all this confidence come from? Knowing that the Lord has heard him. He says it three times. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. God had made himself known to David once again, and David's confidence was restored. And so, Christian, this should be your confidence and your comfort as you pray and bring your troubles and your reasoning and grief to the Lord. David goes from weeping and feeling as if God had turned away from him to being bold as a lion and rebuking his enemies, telling them to depart and informing them that they're going to be greatly troubled and put to shame. But again, just like the previous Psalms that we have been studying, David has confidence and a newfound perspective, even though his circumstances haven't changed. His enemies were still afflicting him. But because he was reminded that God heard his cries, that the Lord had heard his prayer, he was able to have confidence and to trust in the Lord. And so when afflictions come, go to the Lord first. Recognize that those afflictions ultimately come from God. Recognize that the Lord is the one who gives mercy in the midst of our afflictions. And the Lord is the one who is able to deliver. Now we could end here. And that would be a great message. But when we read this psalm, is this all that this psalm is saying? Isn't there something else? While it expresses the, the true and genuine experience of David, it points to something greater. We can't leave this psalm with David. David tells us to trust in God. That's true, but there's more. Psalm 6 points us to Jesus. Did you know that Jesus quoted from this psalm twice in the Gospels? 
First, when Jesus was talking about the the narrow door and the gospel of Luke, he warns those who have not repented and not believed in him. He warns them that they'll be shut out of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, quoting Psalm 6, 8 in Luke chapter 13, verse 27, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And then the second time Jesus quotes Psalm 6 is in the Gospel of John, John 12, verse 27. And this is at the very end of Jesus' public ministry, and he's preparing to go to the cross to become sin for us, to endure the wrath of God upon himself in payment for our sins. Jesus knows what's ahead of him. And in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Here Jesus is quoting from Psalm 6, verse 3. Now my soul is troubled. This is a window into the depth of sorrow that Jesus experienced in his human nature. He was weighed down. Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Later on, when he prayed in Gethsemane, what did he pray? Lord, take this cup from me. That's a Psalm 6 type prayer. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, the writer says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus was afflicted. Jesus prayed to God with loud cries and tears. He prayed to God who was able to save him from death, and the Lord heard his prayers. David entrusted himself to God, knowing that God was the source of his affliction, and David cried out for mercy. Jesus, the greater David, entrusted himself to God and acknowledged that God was the source of his affliction, and he cried out to him for help. But Jesus went to the cross and died. He cried out to God, and God heard him, but he still had to face affliction David prayed to the Lord not to discipline him in his wrath, but Jesus actually bore the wrath of God on our behalf in order to save us from our sins and in order to reconcile us back to God so that we can pray, Lord, do not discipline us in your wrath because you poured out your wrath on your son. Jesus willingly took the punishment that his enemies deserved. And he wept over the city, 
over those who had rejected him. But for those who are in Christ, because Jesus' prayers were heard, because of what Jesus has done for us, God hears our prayers because we are his people. This is our confidence in sorrow and affliction. He hears us. No one is immune to suffering and sorrow. We all grieve and we all lament. But the good news this morning is that for those who are in Christ, we can pray to the Lord knowing that he hears us. And there will come a day where he will put an end to all suffering and sorrow. And so as we end, will you put your trust in God through Christ, who is able to help you in the midst of all your afflictions? He is the one who sent the affliction. He is the one who will help you in the midst of it, And he is the one who will rescue and deliver you from it. Pray to him. Trust in him. That's what Psalm 6 is all about. Assurance and comfort in our afflictions comes from knowing that God hears our prayers.